all of those things were going to be studied. So the school was going to get into it right from the prepping all the way through to year 12. Everything was going to be made. And then one of the teachers came up with this incredible idea. Um, she said, how about we build a boat? And we galvanized the whole school around the idea of building a boat. And everyone loved the idea. So they got in some local uh, boat people and there were people in the school community who knew how to design it and build it. And the woodwork teacher loved the idea. And so he all of a sudden, he really, really understood this and was essential for the whole school. And over the course of the year, they just built this boat. And every year level did what they needed to. And some subjects were involved in engineering or design and other subjects were architects involved in the painting and the whole school community. In fact, it just delighted them. And if there's anyone that had a child involved in any kind of fundraising or anything, everyone knew about it. Anyway, the year just went like that. It was fantastic. And they got to November and the school went, went out and year 12 did their exams. And, and there were still some odd jobs to finish over the summer. And the year 12 was finished in June. It was amazing. Over the summer, they did all the things that needed to be done to finish the boat. And so this whole amazing thing. So at the end of this wonderful year, this marriage ceremony, there was this boat and it was in the harbour and it was sailing. And then what would happen is um, in the, in the next year, in year 12, they went back and they, they would look at the boat and they would hop on it and they would celebrate and remember that's how year 12 was to be and stuff. And then each successive year, they'd have a kid from that 13 years off who'd previously year 12 graduated and they'd go to the boat too and they'd sit there and they'd sit on it and they'd chat about it and, and then a little committee was formed for the restoration of the boat and to keep it weathered and they'd have working groups and this boat became this centralising thing and the committee was really exciting and everyone loved it and but you know that's not everyone so from the preppy all the way through to year 12 there must be things but it's like we said on the announcement about 15 years later Someone actually asked this organic question. They said, has anyone ever sailed the boat? And everyone looked around and they asked questions and they went through their network and they said, oh, I've never sailed the boat. And they asked this and they asked that. And they said, well, yep, we certainly named it after Mr. Mr. Chips. And I can't quite remember. It was just after uh, our stomachs for years. So the boat was named for Mr. Pickles. But sail it. Let's actually take it off the jetty and go for a sail. And so that was commissioned. So they went to the principal of the school. There was a new principal by then um, because the old one had retired and, and they went to the, the new principal and they said we'd like you to take the boat for a sail so um, c- can we do that? And Chips was mystified. He realised how important the boat was to the community and there were so many things talking about the boat lose the boat. And that would be terrible. And so he thought about it and he went to the school council and he said, we've got this strange request. People want to sail the boat. And the council was horrified and they pulled out their risk register and they said, it's red on every column. There is no chance that you can possibly sail that boat. 
It was amazing. And that would be a tragedy. And so the board that was in council that night, they made two resolutions. Firstly, the boat was never to be sailed. It was to be as good as bolted to the jetty and it was to be there forever. And secondly, they decided they were going to form a committee that was going to look after the restoration and the history of boats. And so people were going to get involved in writing about the boat and recording it and putting a book together and building up their photos and others were going to stand at the front of it. And this boat was going to be there forever. Let's get back to Paul. He was grateful to them. He said, I know that. But it's a great story, an illustration about actually how we can be so wrapped up in something that we can actually forget what we need to forget. The boat had the journey to be restoration. That's why God blessed them. That's what he was doing so that they could complete that boat. And there was a basic lesson not learned in that school community and for all of those kids in that maritime land in Australia. Well, Malachi as a book, it's a fascinating book. It's right there at the end of the Old Testament. We we sadly don't know if Malachi is a real person or not. There's no reason to doubt that Malachi wasn't a real person, um, a a Old Old Testament writer, prophet, guy like Matthew. Um, except that he's not mentioned anywhere else. So you kind of don't pick up anything else historically that means that it literally has to be uh, a person. Because just originally, the name Malachi means messenger of Yahweh or by the hand of a messenger. So it kind of could be a real person, and that was his name, or it might just be a, a, a school of thought or someone who had wrote these prophecies and assembled them and that sort of thing. It doesn't really matter. It was written around about the time of Nehemiah and Ezra. So you know the stories of rebuilding the wall of Jerusalem? So Jerusalem, the Israelites had been destroyed. And and, and what's so important about this is the temple was destroyed. And the temple was where God lived. And so if God, if God's temple was destroyed, God was where? God was not in the temple. There was no temple, it was destroyed, and the people of God had been shipped off to Babylon, and they sat by the river and they wept. And so God was dead, Israel was dead, it's all over. And when you read the story after exile of Nehemiah and Ezra, the rebuilding starts, and this new vision for the people of God, and it, and it changed the theology and the understanding of the nation, because God wasn't dead, but God... In fact, they had reduced God to be too small by living in the temple, um, which was just a human construct. But so so it's parallel with this whole story of Jerusalem being rebuilt. When when it comes to us in life, for example, Malachi, Ezra, Nehemiah, when something's in ruins, in the midst of the grief, it often reminds us how God really cares for us and loves us soberly in the midst of the grief and in the midst of the ruins of God trying to get right things the relationships right with people passing the right judgments whatever the circumstances it's actually extremely important to be giving thanks to God when things are good Malachi is giving us 
the Merovingian Israelites here in this, this part, that they had, had three particular areas in the midst of the ruling and the rebuilding where there were profound problems. The first one was the priests had forgotten to do their duty and the temple was in such pain. Secondly, uh, the temple was underfunded because people had lost interest in it and no wonder because of the priests. And so the religious, the faith, the narrative that held together Israel and all that is mentioned and said about God was surrounded by all of these other talents. Thirdly, they were losing identity and self-understanding of who they were. And thirdly, um, Jewish people were divorcing their wives and marrying women from other people. And Israel talks about that and it's, it's quite challenging theologically when you think about this sort of thing. Malachi is, is a reminder for us not to work in vain. Don't just keep doing good works. Don't just start building up building buildings. The purpose of Christianity it's not about purpose of Christianity, it's not even about refining what God's doing. Sometimes when we listen to the media, we think that's what Christianity is about. And yet Jesus said in Luke 14 that large crowds travel in groups and he says to the large crowds, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife, children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Now, that's only one third of our Australian context, but it's over everything. The purpose of Christianity is not just about going to church on Sundays and being religious and, you know, looking all good. It's not about that. The purpose of Christianity is the Great Commission and the Great Commandment. It's about living as, as we... Honestly, best we can in the first in the first one in the kingdom of God. So allowing the rain to grow, the kingdom of Jesus to grow, letting Christ the King rule over our minds and our souls, and guide our actions so that we can live as Christ in the world. So if we mention Christianity at the moment in the media going to do a good job well maybe it's not us but the people who seem to be going to prominence are are essentially missing the point i think about the cost that we work not just to this church but to the group what happens with so many christian institutions that just ruin lives and families of people I think recently about the mega church scandal that occurred there in the Catholic, Catholic Church in Sydney um, and, and all of the, not even Catholic, Catholic Thank you. 
don't get anxious. Don't, don't, don't say things that you don't mean. It's just stupid thinking, stupid thinking. I just want to close reminding you of one of the most profound stories in all scripture. It's in Luke chapter 9. It's a great story. We talk about the unseen gifts more than we talk about the unseen gifts. So the, the, the Good Samaritan is a fascinating story because, you know it, there's these three, uh, there's, there's these three people. So there's a bloke beaten up who's a patrol arrived, he took the boy, and then there's a, 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 a Pharisee who comes along. He sees that he's on the side of the road, he takes a step out, and he quickly says, in verse 6, so he stops and says, oh, what's this guy doing? Levite comes along and he sees the same bloke and he quickly goes and he tries to go to the road and he, he says, you know, this guy's got a boy, he stops on the road and he says, how awesome. And then the third guy comes along, he's a Samaritan who's like passed through, hated Samaritans of the Jews and they're terrible people. And what does he do? He goes over and he picks him up and he puts him on his donkey and he takes him to an inn and he nurses him and he checks he's all right and he brings him back to life. And then he pays for it and he says, I'll come back and I'll pay for more. And you think, what a good guy. That's the way to go. You're like him. Well, that's part of the story of what Jesus is saying. He's saying, yeah, absolutely we should do that. But the other part of it is this is what God says. If your religion leads you to a point where you're comfortable then Jesus says you're wrong. Because you see, the Pharisees and the Levites are the right people. Because according to the Jewish rules of the land in the Old Testament, if their job was to be pure and follow the law and do their religious duties. But if, they, if that guy was just beaten up and dead and they passed him, they were impure and they had to go and not do their duties for three weeks and be purified. And so if they passed this passing poor guy, then they couldn't do their duties for him. So they actually did the right thing by passing the guy. But Jesus says is there needs to be that change because it's confronting reality. If the reins of God in a way get ruffled, hmm, then the religion comes in. And we need this sort of a, a new way of living and relating with God. So as we go this week, Let's go with